Once again, a big thanks to the guys on The Brecky Show. But now, as it is every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock, it's time for Discovery, the National Science Show. And this week, we'll be poking our noses into high-tech snow gear and the life and times of Fanny McClay, one of Australia's scientific pioneers. Stick around. Welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. <gasps> Discovery. Discovery. Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Now to the speeded up brain of the user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery. And once again, welcome to Discovery, bringing you more science than you can poke a stick at. I'm Matthew Clark, and this week we'll be putting on the lab coats to investigate a couple of interesting topics like self-rescuing ski boots and the life of one of Australia's early women scientists. But before we can get to any of that, here's your Discovery Science News with Jackie Pepper. <laughs> race to sequence DNA, scientists have just completed the rice genome. The project which began with the partial sequencing of the genome by private companies was completed by the International Rice Genome Sequencing Project and involved researchers from across 10 different countries. The researchers have been able to identify the 37,544 genes that make up the 12 chromosomes of the rice genome. It is hoped that this information will help in the identification of genes involved in yield and quality, as well as those associated with disease, so that researchers can improve the productivity of the grain crops. Improving productivity holds great importance as it has been predicted that rice, which is already an important staple in the world's diet, will need to increase its production to meet consumption needs. Professor Vina Swahala from the University of New South Wales has found a novel new ingredient for making steel. The recent Eureka Prize winner has found a method to incorporate waste plastic into steel production. Currently, coal and coke are used as a carbon source in the metal production, but Vina has found that these can be substituted with the carbon found in many forms of plastic, right down to plastic shopping bags, by heating the waste to temperatures of 16,000 degrees Celsius. While there are many waste plastics that can be used, PVC cannot be used because of its dangerous fumes created when it is heated at high temperatures. While at the moment Venus team have replaced 30% of the coal and coke used in steel production, they hope to keep improving this result and in the meantime create a useful new recycling application for wa plastic waste products. Could folate help in the fight against alcohol-induced breast cancer? While researchers believe that drinking alcohol may increase the risk of breast cancer, a 13-year study which followed over 17,000 women from Melbourne has provided evidence that consuming folate 
may alleviate the effects of alcohol in the body which cause breast cancer. Folate is found in many green leafy vegetables, fruits and organs such as liver and is needed to help regulate DNA preventing mutations that form cancer. It is believed that alcohol removes folate inside cells and without this folate for DNA regulation, cancer cells can arise. The Australian researchers who have published their findings in the British Medical Journal believe that high folate levels in the diet help replace those which are destroyed by alcohol. A relationship by, uh, between other causes of breast cancer and folate have not been found and alcohol is one of the many factors that are believed to cause breast cancer in the diet as well. Kia Smith, one of our intrepid reporters, is disappearing for a few weeks. He's off to the snow, like so many of us this time of year, and here's a taste of what he might expect. So I'm about to take a trip, take a trip to New Zealand to do some snowboarding. Now I'm a little bit excited because I haven't been snowboarding for a while. The reason I haven't been snowboarding for a while is last time I went, I fell off a cliff. Now, you might think, what's that got to do with science? What's it got to do with discovery? Well, we hear about laughing at each other sometimes, but also about the passing on of information. The science of this was the luckiness, the escape that I had after falling off a cliff due to the organisation of me and my friends. We were in the back country, which is uh, off-piste or off the groomed runs, and we'd hiked over the mountain behind the mountain with which you got up on the gondola or the lifts. Um, I picked out my line and unluckily hit a large patch of ice and was thrown onto some rocks. Now, if I was alone, I would have been in terrible trouble. Or if I was underprepared, I would have also been in terrible trouble. But luckily, me and my friends had been doing this for a while and were prepared. We had a bunch of things. We had peeps, we had probes, we had shovels and we had blankets. Luckily, I didn't need peeps and probes, but they're the things, the science of which I'd like to talk about right now. Peeps and probes are really useful for if you get if you fall off something or if you get hit by an avalanche. A peeps sends out a radio frequency peep, a little kind of beacon to say where you are, firing out so all the others can find you. So if there were an avalanche you'd be able to um, triangulate where the person was. Then the probes are little collapsible kind of sticks if you will. Um, they're only you know 10 centimetres or 15 centimetres long and you extend them out to a few metres and you can drive them into the snow, hopefully poking your friend after finding them by following the peeping sound on your beacon or from their beacon and on your peep. And that's how they'd find me if I'd ended up underneath the snow. But I hadn't, I was on top of the snow, I was just a little bit hurt, which is where the blanket came in to keep me warm until the helicopter came to get me. Now, this is pretty good technology, the idea of uh, being able to have this electronic beacon that says where you are. So good, in fact, that snowboard and ski manufacturers are starting to include, um, by default, and this is only new, um, little RF frequency tags in your boots, so that every time you buy a new pair of boots, this is starting now, but it'll be, I think, commonplace in the future, they'll have a little radio receiver, or at least, sorry, a little radio transmitter, if you will, inside them so that sh sh were you um, to in a kind of uh, very unlucky circumstance to be caught in an avalanche to be 
piled on top with snow to be totally invisible from the outside even if you weren't prepared your boots would have been and people will be able to using pretty simple technology listen to the little peeping sound follow it up the hill and find you buried underneath the snow hopefully before anything bad happens which is not anywhere near as cool as what can happen if you're saved by one of the snow dogs that a friend of mine used to train the snow dogs act like a peeps and a probe, um, although without technology, just by a sense of smell. They charge up the mountain, dig into the snow, and find the buried snowboarder or skier. They are an amazing thing to watch, and somehow, using their own science of smell, using their own powers of smell and their powers of deduction, can do what takes us a lot of money, a lot of training, and a lot of effort simply with their nose. It seems the nose is mightier than the radio transmitter.
and that was The Waifs with their independent album Up All Night, the track called Lighthouse. Hello, this is David Bellamy. Honestly, it is. My favourite animal is sea otter, and my favourite community science show, what else but discovery? In the early days of Australia, a woman was expected to be uneducated, married, domestic, and giving birth every 18 months. One woman shattered that delusion to pieces, as Lachlan Watmore reports. When people think of early pioneers in Australia, they invariably think of Burke and Wills, Sturt, Leichhardt, Bass and Flinders, men who went out and explored things. They don't think about women. I'd like to address this by talking about one of my heroines, Fanny Maclay, a naturalist, meticulous collector of specimens, brilliant scientific artist, and a woman definitely ahead of her time. Frances Leonora Maclay was the eldest daughter of Alexander and Eliza Maclay and arrived in the young colony of New South Wales in 1826. Alexander had been made colonial secretary of the colony and had brought his wife and family with him. He was also an avid naturalist with a passion for botany, entomology and zoology and shared this passion with his eldest son and daughter. Along with his family, he also brought the bulk of his private entomological or insect collection, which was one of the finest in Europe. He had every intention of enlarging it with the wondrous new animals of New South Wales. And because his duties as colonial secretary kept him working up to 12 hours a day, he turned to Fanny for help. In the early 19th century, natural history, which today encompasses zoology, botany, ecology and geology, was a young discipline, the domain of mainly men with too much time on their hands. A woman was usually discouraged from any type of education except what was required to run a household, a little bit of botany for the garden, a little bit of medicine for the children. My admiration for Fanny is based on the fact that she completely rejected such sentiment and before she left England had already educated herself in natural history, to which she added astronomy and landscape gardening. Once in Sydney, she didn't hesitate to get out into the bush and start collecting, ignoring the murmurs of her detractors that such behaviour was unladylike. Throughout history, art has frequently been in the service of religion. However, in Australian history, art is more commonly linked with science. It all started when Joseph Banks brought Dr Solander, a botanical artist, with him on the endeavour. And after the settling of New South Wales, natural history artists would make new pilgrimages to the new colony to find a new specimen and paint it. If you want an idea of Fanny Maclay's amazing ability as a scientific artist, go to Elizabeth Bay House, which Alexander built. Walk up the steps, go in the front door, turn left, and you'll see what I mean. There hangs a copy of an incredible painting. It's a simple flower arrangement of Australian, European and South African flowers, reminiscent of a still life. What's extraordinary is the detail and vividness of the colours, the veins and the leaves, the texture of the petals, even the brilliance of a male willy wagtail she's included. The style is very much like Salvador Dali, without the dripping clock. In my humble opinion, looking at this painting alone justifies a trip to Elizabeth Bay House. Few of Fanny's other works have survived, only a few paintings and a handful of pencil drawings still exist. Most do appear to have been lost in transit back to England because she sent many illustrations to naturalists at the British Museum and the Royal Society. Fanny didn't marry until she was 43. She'd always felt that marriage was overrated and once confided to her brother William, I shall never marry. I always said so. This may look like sour grapes and in some degree I have no doubt correctly so. 
for I have never yet met with a person I could have taken for better or worse. In June 1836, she married the Assistant Colonial Secretary Thomas Harrington. Perhaps she should have stayed a spinster because six weeks later, she was dead. She had had a weak heart and it suddenly killed her when she got a cold and a stomach complaint at the same time. Her family and many in the colony were desolate for she was much loved and respected, not only for scientific achievements but also civic duty. Before I sign off, I'd better acknowledge Elizabeth Windshuttle's excellent little booklet, Taste and Science, The Maclay Women. Pick yourself up a copy at Elizabeth Bay House when you visit Fanny's painting. As I said, it's worth the trip. And that was Lachlan Watmore and the science, art and culture of Fanny Maclay.
Stiff Gins with a track called Morning Star. 60 Second Science. Do you know anyone who is overweight, who smokes, or who has high blood pressure? Chances are you do, and chances are they could be one of the next 17 million people to die globally over the next year due to cardiovascular disease. By 2020, one billion people will be over the age of 65, with age-related cardiovascular disease set to become the leading cause of death worldwide and is set to overwhelm the healthcare systems in Australia. But it is easy to prevent. Regular exercise and a healthy diet help keep cardiovascular disease at bay. Change your lifestyle and change your life for the better. We all want to grow up nice and strong and healthy but we need to remember that there is no point if all our arteries and our blood vessels are clogged up with fat. Simple everyday acts can help prevent cardiovascular disease. Walk down to the shops instead of using the car. So go on, get out there and get active. 60 Second Science Ivo Smilek from St Andrews Cathedral School. 60 Second Science is brought to you by high school students enrolled in the University of Sydney's course Problem Solving and Communication in Science. Oh no. Fly on. And that was wise words there from our 60 Second Science correspondent there. Now, something that can help you along that area is rice. Now, Jackie, you mentioned uh, rife rice in our news this week. Now, what can you tell me about this super rice? Well, scientists have already started manipulating rice, if you want to call it. It sounds a bit far-fetched and out there. But they've already started throwing a few bits and pieces into rice to throw in a few extra vitamins. Seeing as rice is such a huge supplement across the world, a lot Mm. of kids in third world countries, and adults for that matter, are going blind because they're not getting the vitamins they need. So scientists have managed to put these vitamins into rice, get it in there, grow it up. That way, you know, kids are getting all the vitamins they need. Well, we've been having things added to our foods for a long time, supposedly um, positive things. For example, in Sydney, we have uh, the fluoride in the water for our teeth. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't know is we have iodine in our salt to to help keep down uh, goiters and things like that. We have a lot of things added to our food that um, we don't necessarily know about and we don't necessarily notice because you can't taste it or you can taste the fluoride, but um, especially if you go somewhere where it hasn't got the fluoride. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of things have been added to our food that we don't necessarily know about. Something else that's um, been interesting recently is the space shuttle. Now, a lot of interest has been, a lot of international interest has been paid to the the space shuttle launch that's just passed, especially since the uh, the what they call the Columbia disaster, um, when it burned up in the atmosphere because of it was had a damaged wing from a chunk of foam, a bit of an esky uh, hit the wing there at uh, thousands of kilometres an hour. Um, there was a lot of worry about the the space shuttle re-entering the atmosphere this time, but. Um, 
What was interesting about the this particular launch is that NASA has said that this shuttle mission has been the most trouble-free shuttle mission that they have ever had. Really? That's kind of surprising, seeing as all the media attention that Discovery's had. Well, that's it. They, they did go to great pains to make it even safer again. But really, we only really noticed all the faults because so much media attention. We had, you could view it live on the internet. You could hear and watch the astronauts go about their, their business, doing the spacewalks, uh, repairing, pulling that little bit of stuff out of the tiles in the nose there. But we were noticing it so much because of the, all this attention. Similar to how, it's very analogous to the way that uh, Sydney's uh, Guardia scare uh, a number of years ago, um, that only came about because of the new testing equipment that Sydney Water actually placed in the system. Prior to that, we weren't, we did not have as sophisticated testing equipment in there, and so the water was just as good as it always was, just that we were testing things um, much more efficiently. From super rice to space shuttles to toxic water, just some of the cool stuff we look at every week on Discovery. Well, sadly, it's time to say goodbye from all of us here at Team Discovery. If you'd like some more information on any of the stories we featured today, if you think Mythbusters is just an excuse to blow things up while earning advertising revenue, or if you couldn't get onto the John Laws show and you want to tell everyone what's wrong with young people today, you can drop us a line on discovery at 2SCR.com. Warming the seats on this week's show were Jackie Pepper, Keir Smith, and Lachlan Watmore joining us once more. This week I threw Discovery together myself out of the cosy studios of the freshly subscribed 2SER Sydney. And we're also broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Matthew Clark and I expect to see you back here next week for more science news and excitement on Discovery. Discovery.